Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. Today, I am joined by somewhat of a serial entrepreneur. Today, he is the CEO of Wordable, where he helps marketers save 90% on publishing costs. He's also the founder of Codeless, an agency you may have heard of, as well as a founding partner at Usurp, and has worked with brands like Monday.com, Active Campaign, Chargeify, Hootsuite, BetterUp, etc., and has been featured in all kinds of high-authority publications, Forbes, New York Times, The Next Web, etc., and he's here today to share the story of building and essentially exiting from a time and money freedom perspective to agencies and now building Wordable, a new SaaS platform. So with all of that, Brad Smith, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you, Marcel. I'm looking forward Likewise, to it. we connected uh, at an event in Florida and had a great conversation and we've been in talks ever since. And um, I just love the opportunity to get in and, and get the intimate details of like what it took to build two successful agencies. And I think most impressively be able to pretty much step outside of all the day-to-day, something that I'm sure lots of our listeners are curious about. So before we get into all of that, I'd love to give you a chance to, in your own words, share what it is that you're doing today at Wordable. Yeah, for sure. So we are trying to automate the publishing process, basically, with Wordable. Um, we found this this pain point with our agency, and we still spend a lot of money, too much money, frankly, on uh, all this exporting, formatting, optimizing content like before it goes live. <laughs> Uh, we found it was a huge bottleneck for our customers and clients at the time. That's why we started doing it like manually for them. And then we started doing so much volume under that business that it got to the point where we had like a team of people just moving content all day, every day. And if people didn't do it right, it would affect their rankings and results and traffic and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, with thankfully with Wordable now, we're trying to automate basically a lot of that stuff and, and hopefully, uh, make marketers lives a little less sucky and give them back, you know, nights and weekends and all that kind awesome, of stuff. Awesome, man. So before we get to the story of, of Wordable and how that you know essentially grew out of one of your agencies, I want to go all the way back to what got you into starting your first agency. Tell us the story of your entrance into this space. Yeah, I always wanted to start a business. I didn't really know what I was doing was part of the problem, though. Uh, and so I originally worked uh, in-house at a few different places while working in-house in marketing was also kind of picking up like side freelance clients. Like most people that got into this stuff probably had like just enough freelance work to like kind of pay the bills. So I decided to just like jump out and start doing my own thing. Uh, had to f- learn the hard way how to sell, how to manage clients, how to, how to collect money, how to like do all the things that actually result in like a successful business, not just like, uh, you know, moving some pixels around a screen. Um, eventually started Codeless with one of my really good friends at the time who was a developer. Uh, our original idea was completely different than what we're doing today, uh, as, as usually happens. So we were going to do like this, this integrated service where we were not just going to like redesign and rebuild your website, but we were going to optimize it over time. So it was going to be more of like this, this, uh, performance based type approach. That type of pitch works really well for enterprise clients. Doesn't work so well for, 
all the, the crap that we were pitching to. Uh, and so, you know, really it was like, we, we started Codeless probably 10 years ago, something like that, a little less than 10 years ago. And honestly, it was like a few years of just me floundering around, not really getting anywhere. So uh, just so everyone has some context, you go from, you know, first few years of growth, like roughly how long was that? What was the revenue that you were at? Then reset to zero. And then fast forward to today, yeah. how many years later? And give us a sense of the scale of Codeless. This is an impressive business. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was like, um, if I, I'm trying to remember back, I had freelanced on my own for a little bit. So let's say I made like, I went from like zero to kind of like 10 to 15K a month on my own, mm -hmm. just doing everything. Yeah, That just got old after a while. Um, and, and, it's, and it's unfulfilling. And if I take a vacation, I don't get paid. And so it's like all the classic kind of freelance traps. Um, then from, a, from an agency standpoint, maybe we built it up to like 30K a month recurring revenue, maybe, maybe a little more, but then it was like going from 30K a month back down to like zero to five. Yeah. Uh, and again, I had like another person that I was trying to pay and like not alienate and not fire. Cause I, again, I didn't want to get stuck in this trap of like, just going back to me doing everything again. Right. So, and then since then, so that was maybe I'm trying to think back, let's say that was, it took, uh, two, three years on my own, then like another two, three years originally with Codeless. Then it only took, that's the funny thing is when you actually like go in the right direction. It only took maybe like six months to go back from like zero to 30K. So I, I, you're stressed about like making this hard decision because you're going to see money go to zero. But if you're actually doing the right things, the money comes back pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, so it only took maybe six months. And since then, it's been a lot of growth, which has been great. And now we're doing a few million a year in revenue. Um, we spun another business out that's doing a few million in revenue before Wordable. So, so it's, it's been like this amazing journey since then. Uh, only because I think the stars aligned in the sense of like, I actually stopped or started listening to what the market wanted, actually built a business the right way, as opposed to just kind of like trying to do everything and being creative all the time and, and all that. And, uh, you know, funny, like we have had the same experience at Parakeeto, except we made the classic mistake of like trying to be a software company, I think way too early in our understanding of the problem. And as soon as we pivoted to this more like service-based model, same thing within six months, just like numbers I never would have imagined, like our most uh, yeah. aggressive projections in our like internal team discussions were not even close to what is happening to us right now. It's mind boggling. But to your point, like when you finally um, really like listen to the market, set yourself up, make an offer and, and a system that's scalable, uh, it's amazing what you can accomplish. So yeah, fast forward. So we're talking over the course of a few years here, two businesses, both doing, you know, several million dollars in revenue. And you spend how much time roughly running each of those agencies? Uh, five to 10 is the average um, a week, five to 10 hours a week. Yeah. So usually closer to like five um, in most most weeks. Uh, I don't spend a lot of my time on either one. That's why I'm able to thankfully now focus on other areas. I'm trying to focus now on more of like the vision and keeping everything together. And a lot of our businesses are still all tied to the same problem of like, how do we help content marketers grow, yeah. you know, traffic and leads and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I try to focus now more on the stuff that's like two, three years ahead, uh, as opposed to anything like this week or this month or even this quarter. So let's talk about what needed to be true for you to be able to step out of day to day and spend, you know, like 
less than a quarter of your week managing these two businesses. What were kind of some of the core pillars that you needed to install before you could really pull yourself out um, and have the business kind of continue to run and grow? For sure. Yeah, the first one that was that specialization feature for, for a number of reasons. Um, people also don't think of this, but like specializing the type of service we do for a specific vertical uh, makes things more or less scalable. So not only is it like easier to find clients and word of mouth and everything else in that one area if you cater to one audience, but also like if we do content cre creation and production, um, the type of content that like one company would come to us, like our ideal customer versus like a consumer company, the two, to two totally different types of content. So we, we can't do both, you know? Mm. Uh, we could do one really well and we could staff for one really well and we could make, make a lot of money on one, um, but trying to do too many doesn't work. So specialization, not just in terms of like who you're working with, but also uh, service delivery in essence. Mm. Um, the, the second one would really be a focus on this factory assembly line, especially with services. Uh, everyone thinks, everyone, every service person thinks that they can't make their service scalable or every service person I talk to always tells me how their thing is so unique. Like there's some special snowflake and it can't possibly be, uh, be put into a, a systemized processed out operation and usually they're full of crap or usually they're not trying hard enough or usually they just, they, they can't say no to other things. Mm. Um, and so that's a big part of it. And then, and then from there too, it's just hiring and training good people. So we hire people and we build them up and train them up. And then those people move into le leadership positions and manage other people. And so now we have really good people that have, that are able to kind of run everything and they, they make decisions based on how I would make decisions without us even talking at this point, because they already know like what all the, you know, principles are that we're trying to operate under. They already know all the guidelines. We don't have to like communicate them. Mm. Um, anytime I've tried to like hire someone senior that's supposedly really good and not give them a process to work from or not like go through all this training, it doesn't really end well. Like I've never had a, a good experience thinking someone's going to like step into one of these businesses and just kind of like, immediately solve problems or, or it, usually it's a combination of like me or, or someone who's been around for a while, solving the problem first, processing it out, understanding how the roles are going to fit together and, and only then putting a good person in, in, in charge to run it. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. With that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really good thing to double click on because we see that probably most commonly in operations and sales and agencies, right? Where it's like, if the founder doesn't know how to sell, it's like, well, okay, well, I'm going to go find some senior seasoned salesperson and they'll just like figure this out and fix it. And it doesn't work out most of the time. Many of you listening probably had that experience. And then same thing for, 
operations. Like if operations is kind of a mess, we can't really see anything. Our data is a mess. Like, you know, our project management time tracking systems are all over the place. We hire some kind of senior project manager and just kind of expect them to be able to come in and figure out how to run this stuff. And oftentimes that also ends up being uh, a failure, mostly because <laughs> we're also giving them a full client roster to manage while trying to do this thing off the side of their desk that really should be a whole project. But um, this idea of do it, document it, and then delegate it makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine that it's also the reason that, you know, I think about this in terms of the more process you can have in place, the less judgment a person needs to have in order to successfully execute that process. And of course, reducing the level of complexity in your service offering or the number of variables helps you create tighter documentation because there's fewer variables that you need to consider. It also lowers the amount of judgment that's required because again, there's fewer variables that a person might be exposed to and executing on their work. So like all of these things on a micro level, when you zoom into like one area of the business might seem small, but when you add them all up, it is a substantial reduction in the complexity required to do any given role in the business, which I would imagine is part of the reason that you've been able to get enough people in place to get yourself out of day-to-day -day operations without actually reaching like a massive scale in the business. Like you don't need to do $50 million a year to get out of that day-to-day. -day. Yeah. You only need to do a few million dollars a year because you don't need a $400,000 a year CEO or VP of ops in order for that person to be qualified to manage this incredibly complex system that you've got underneath them. You can probably yeah. afford a higher person that's kind of mid-market because the scope of the role is so well-defined. Exactly. And then I also don't need to sell them either. So I've, I've talked to other agencies, for example, uh, a long time ago, even one that expressed some initial interest in acquiring us. And the more I went down that rabbit hole of learning about selling your agency, to me, for me personally, for my own personal gold, it just became almost like uh, selling the golden goose or golden egg or whatever the hell the, the metaphor is. But essentially, like, you are basically getting acquihired personally, if you're higher up in the company, uh, to continue doing the same thing for another company as a job without seeing as much of the upside. And then you also have to sign a non-compete. And so you're not allowed to work with any of the clients or any of the people that you just brought in. Uh, so it's kind of like when I started factoring all that stuff together, I was just kind of like, well, what's the point? Because I'm not going to like go, regardless of the amount of money I make, I'm not going to go sit on the beach forever, you know? Uh, I got to do something with my life. And so now it's almost like it gives me people and processes and stability and cash flow to go pursue essentially whatever I want to do at this point. And I don't have to ever sell ever um, because multiples are also lower and worse typically for service companies. You have to deal with earnouts and all the other crap. You don't have to deal with, with content sites or SaaS companies or whatever. So um, now I have the freedom and the luxury to you know live where I want, work the hours I want eat whatever I want, do what I want, travel, um, start other businesses. And I don't have to like, you know, answer to anyone else really, which, which for me personally was like always the goal. It wasn't to just like yeah. make some FU money and sit on the beach, you know, freedom, drinking yeah. freedom from the fire hose. So, <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, two last questions on this. And then I, I want to ask about wordable as well. Um, so what was the hardest most difficult thing to get yourself out of um, in this kind of trajectory to getting yourself out of the day to day? What was the, the one that you found the hardest or that you kept getting pulled back into? Sales was the hardest for me because I, over time I got good at consultative selling hmm. because I knew 
I, I knew the sales skills over a not at the beginning, over a long period of time. But then I also knew, more importantly, I knew that person's space as good or better than they did, meaning like the prospect I was talking to. So I could have right. a very detailed technical conversation with somebody and still sell them at the same time. And that's very difficult to, to replace with one person. And this is true for like a lot of things in the company that I found is it's, is it's really difficult to replace yourself with one other person. What you're doing yeah. typically is role specialization and you're breaking down like the three or five things you do well and replacing yourself with three to five people. And so it's kind of a combination approach now where we have like uh, one salesperson who's good and business development person who's, who's, who's being trained all this stuff at the same time, pairing them with more of a technical expert who usually lacks the sales skills um, yeah. and kind of taking like a hybrid approach to that. Um, mm. But it's, but it's, it's, it's worked really well to where we now we can, we can sell enterprise companies. We could do all these again, without me getting involved at all, which is again, most, most service companies aren't like that. Uh, most service companies are like doing the dog and pony show, rolling out the red carpet, like the owner, whoever has to get involved in like the big client discussions. And now I, I'm like, I'm basically irrelevant at this point in a good way where like my involvement in stuff sometimes just screws things up because I want, <laughs> I'm a tweaker and I want to change things. And that doesn't work when you're trying to run a, a consistent, uh, scalable business. So it's funny that you mentioned this because I was just having a conversation with another agency owner today who is wrestling with this. They're trying to back backfill themselves out of sales. And one of the beliefs that they're trying to correct or get over is that clients want to buy from a subject matter expert. Um, and it sounds like that was also a thing that you was kind of keeping you uh, in that sales seat for longer than maybe you wanted to. Um, what have you found when it comes to subject matter expertise in the sales process? It sounds like, and you know, a lot of times, yeah, it is necessary to have some of it, but is it as necessary as you believed it was, or was it eye opening to see how much less of it was required? Or there are some specific times where it's required, um, as opposed to assuming that that salesperson needs to have that high degree of expertise all the time. Yeah, it's, uh, it was eye opening to understand how much less is usually required than you think it is. Hmm. Um, I think two business owners fall in this trap, especially service people. Cause we're used to like doing the thing we're used to like doing the, the thing that we're also selling. So we, we fall in this trap that it's like, I'm do it so well or so much better than everyone else. And what you realize, uh, or what you hopefully should realize is that most clients either don't know or don't care. Like most of them don't know how to like, how or why the way I do it is better. Like they don't understand either because of lack of knowledge or whatever, or they just don't, flat out don't care. Like if the results are there if the, if, and, and what they're after, if they can get what they're after, they could care less. Um, so that part is eye opening, but also too, you can, you can easily segment it out. Meaning enter, the more sophisticated the client and the bigger the budget, typically the more subject matter expertise or technical know-how is required in that sales process. Cause it's a longer process usually. Um, enterprise companies are going to have multiple buy multiple people involved on the same call. You might have like, uh, the manager asking questions about like the tactical stuff you do. Whereas you might also then have like a C-suite person asking you about like ROI. And it's very difficult to like field both of those questions and answer them both, unless you've done it a lot. Um, yeah. however, you better make sure they're paying you enough then to have those people sit on the call or have you sit on the call. And that's another mistake that most yeah. service companies make is that they, they spend, they expend way too much energy too early in the sales process for people that are unqualified, unqualified, mm. meaning not yeah. a good fit, or they don't have enough money like 
to pay you to figure all those problems out. Like we're, when we start the process with the client, we're going to answer all these questions for you and figure it out. Here's how we typically do this. Um, but we're not going to sit here on the first, second, third sales call and like give you all the answers. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, uh, yeah. you're barking, barking up the wrong tree or whatever. And there's another insight in there. It was what you alluded to earlier, which is that like, that doesn't have to be one person from your team. Like if you know that, okay, they're bringing their VP engineering or, you know, their, their specialist person from their side in on the fourth call, then you can bring your sales engineer in on the fourth call or your technical SEO person in on the fourth call. And this is how software companies have been doing it forever. Like yeah. the account executive at, you know, Salesforce or insert whatever other like enterprise uh, SaaS company, they do not know this stuff. They have a team of sales engineers and they pull them in strategically when required. And so fragmenting those roles up, I think is a good insight as well that because to your point, it lowers the requirement for a unicorn um, to be able to execute on that role um, because yeah, it's unrealistic to expect people to be um, as good at all the things that we're, uh, we're good at or to be able to wear as many hats as effectively as you know most of us can as founders. Yeah, definitely. I think most founders are good at not knowing the answer. Like we're good, we're good with like the gray area. Most people in their life are not like most, most general population out there want very black and white lives. And I don't mean that as a slight, although it sounds like that, but, but people want to know what their role is. They want consistency. They want to know what the guide, what the guide rails are. Uh, yeah. most people aren't good just winging it. Uh, like that's like a different personality, a different DNA trait that founders have that most employees are not going to have. And so asking them or expecting them to be able to do that is not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes back to, I think, yeah, judgment and experience, right? It's like, if you're going to design your company where everyone requires a lot of that ability to operate in, in vague circumstances and make a lot of judgment calls, then you're probably going to have trouble recruiting, or you're just going to have to pay more for the average person. Cause you need yep. a more experienced person to be able to handle that level of obscurity. They're also not going to want to join your company because you're too small and nobody knows who you are. So that's like <laughs> another thing that I laugh at when like, SaaS, when SaaS people give advice about stuff and it's like, no, you just work at HubSpot. That's why it's fucking easy for you. You know, like it's not, <laughs> if you're like starting, if you're like agency XYZ out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and nobody's heard of you, guess what? You're not going to get all the A players. They're not going to be fawning over you, you know? And so this is like, you got to be realistic and you got to like understand where you're at and where you're trying to go. And that means typically hiring people who are like show potential, but aren't quite there yet. Cause the people that are already there that have an awesome job at some series, a startup or series B, C, D startup, like they're not going to come work for you, you know, unless you like blackmail them or something. <laughs> Amazing. So for those that are listening that want to learn more about you, Brad, and what you're doing at Wordable, where should they go? Uh, find yeah, Wordable.io is the best spot. My, my two other companies are called codeless.io and you SERP. Uh, U-S-E-R-P, like search engine result page, .io, which is either a clever name or a stupid name, depending on uh, if you get if you get the joke or not. <laughs> um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, although I'm not super active on social media because I'm too busy doing too many things already. So, and, and 
I, I live in Hawaii too, thankfully. So I'm trying to be outside as much as possible as well. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Links to Wordable, uh, Brad's two agencies and his LinkedIn in the show notes in case you want to scroll down and follow uh, what you know is most entrepreneurs' dream of you know running multiple companies, getting to really scratch your entrepreneurial itch in a whole bunch of different places, living that uh, remote laptop lifestyle in Hawaii. I mean, you've got it made, Brad. Yeah, what can well, I say? we'll see. <laughs> I still like to spend a lot of money too. And it's not cheap here. So, you know, gotta, gotta keep working for a few more years, I guess. You gotta, you gotta keep it going. Well, I, I just love the way that your mind works and I'm glad that uh, you're able to find some time to come on and just share your backstory. I'm sure it was helpful for a lot of listeners. So uh, thanks again for making time. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeta.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode.
Thank you. Appreciate it.